Okay, so we've spoken about a number of different aspects of Purim. We spoke about the calendar and Yom Nishana, how Purim's position in the day and the year correspond to that time which is called the Kadrusa, the Shachrusa, the darkest time of the night just before the Shachar. We learned that's a time which is also Ma'ir Rachamim. The second thing we learned about is the Mirror of Netzach. Yisrael's ability to be victorious over Adam, over Esav, over, over Amalek, and how by bowing to Esav, there was somewhat of a pagam in that middle of Netzach, how we lost as a result the kingship, and how Shaul forfeited the opportunity to take it back for us completely, even though he did manage to restore Jewish kingship. And how that became complete at the time of Mordechai, when instead of him being forced to bow to Haman, it really was the other way around. Uh, Haman was forced to bow to him. And then the last one we spoke about is how the middle of Purim is the middle of HaKadosh Baruch Hu coming as the Shemi Yisrael who never sleeps. And that even if the middle which Hashem runs the world with, does, so to speak, turn away, the Melech is asleep as it were. But uh, when Yisrael's existence is threatened, so then that awakens a new middle, that HaKadosh Baruch is acting as the Shemi Yisrael, as the one who protects Klai Yisrael, and then that, that guarantees Klai Yisrael's survival. These looks like three separate points. Now, in this last, maybe part of the shir we're giving tonight, um, we'll try to put them all together. And we'll see how they all have to be combined in order to see the full, so to speak, perspective, the whole picture as one unit. So firstly, when we spoke about Purim as being the end of the night, whether it's the night of the year, which is the winter months from Tishrei to Nisan or the night, and if that's the case, Adar, which is just before Nisan, is the end of the night, we're talking about the day, in which case we're talking about the period just before daybreak, the time when Slichas are said, Smaira said in Rachamim, and Purim fills that position. Now, what we're going to learn is it wasn't just like that in the context of a day or in the context of a year. It was like, Purim filled that role in history as well. And here's an important point to think about. We always look at Bugiris Esther. It's its own sefer. It begins in the third year of Achashayosh's reign. It ends with the downfall of Homer and the Wadsworth who wanted to threaten the Jews in the twelfth year of Achashayosh's reign. And we see it as a story on its own. But to properly appreciate the Megiddo, to properly understand the Megiddo, we have to take an historical context of the time. And we started talking about this in the previous year. Let's go back and let's expand on it and understand it and embellish the story understand better. We know that when Klai Yisrael originally went to Goddess, so there was a nevur from Yirmiyel that the Goddess is going to last 70 years. There was one, uh, one nevur where Yirmiyel foretold that Babel will last for 70 years. There was a second nevur where Yirmiyel said that the Goddess for the Jewish people last 70 years. And what we saw in the course of history is that they were referring to two separate uh, countings. One for counting for Babel, 
And after 70 years, Babel collapsed. The last of the three kings of Babel, Belshazzar, was killed. And that was an end of the Babylonian dynasty and the end of the Babylonian empire. And then there was a second Cheshpan, like we saw, which was for the 70 years of the Jewish people going to Godus until the Jewish people were returned to Eretz And we saw previously Rachashverosh, as the kings before him, were very preoccupied with this Nebuah, very worried that the return of the Jewish people to Eretz Yisrael would necessitate a rebellion against him as a king, or maybe him losing his kingship. And therefore we see why Vashti managed to convince him at the beginning of his reign to cancel the right that the Jews had had from the king before who was Koresh to go back to Israel and to prevent the building of the base of Mikdash and to lead it to the Megiddo as well. That when Esther came to ask and the Cheshvesh didn't know what she came to ask for. So he says, Esther, Malk, I'll give you everything at Chatzia Malchus. And the Medrash explains that the Chatzia Malchus means I'll offer you everything you want except for building the base of Mikdash. Tarachashverosh wasn't willing to do. And we saw that the big party he made in the third year of his reign was because he miscalculated when the 70 years of Babel, uh, when the 70 years of Godus would be over. We know that historically what happened was in the seventh year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar came to Israel, like we said, and deposed the king who had been rebelling against him. And, take, and took the Cherish and the Maska, which were the leading citizens of Yishraim, into Godus, into Babel with him. And he installed the puppet king, really, uh, who was Tzedkia, instead. We know, in, <coughs> we know in the 19th year of his reign, which is 12 years later, so Tzedkia also rebelled against him, and then Nebuchadnezzar returned a second time, and this time he destroyed the base of Migdash and took the rest of the population into the goddess. And Achashverosh made the mistake of thinking that the 70 year goddess started from the first exile, and therefore, according to his calculations, since Nebuchadnezzar exiled them the first time in the 70 year of his reign, and we know that the goddess bubble lasted 70 years, so then seven years after Nebuchadnezzar should be the end of the 70 years which fell out, as we saw, in the third year of Ahasuerus' reign, and nothing happened. The Jewish people remained in Godus under his, uh, under his royalty, under his empire, and that's why he makes the party to celebrate, that he now feels his throne is secure. <coughs> but in reality, we know that the 70 years Hashem intended to count from the second Exile, which means the time of the Khurban, which was 12 years later. And if that's the case, the end of the 70 years by Hashem's Cheshpan would have been 12 years after Hashem's party. Now, Hashem's party was in the third year of his reign after the past success. And if that's the case, 12 years later would have come out on the, in the 15th year of Hashem's reign. As you're going to see, Hashem never got there. But uh, let's explain something else first. And that is, the time of the Hanukkah story, of the Purim story, I'm sorry, the time of the Purim story happened in the 12th year of Ahasuerus' reign, as we know. Which means this was just three years before the Goda was meant to happen. 
three years before the second Besamidash was meant to be bought. And now what was the spiritual status of Kaishal at that time? So besides for the Averis, which we mentioned previously, that because of that, they deserved the Xerah of Haman, that they had worshipped the statue of Nebuchadnezzar, or they had partaken and celebrated in the banquet that Achashverosh made to celebrate the fact that the Besamidash hadn't been rebuilt, which as we said was a tremendous Chilol Hashem. And if we look at other Svarim of the Navim, describing the same time period, for example, Sefer Ezra, which is really the follow-on of Megiddo Sester, talks about what happened subsequent to the Megiddo, and we see that the Jewish people, had, a lot of them, had married non-Jewish wives. And we see that a lot of the Jewish people weren't keeping Shabbos. And we see there were many, many other things that the Jewish people weren't doing correctly. And if that's the case, we created a situation that on the one hand, HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants to bring the Goda. He promised 70 years that the Goda is going to come. And we're getting to that, that deadline. On the other hand, the Jewish people are nowhere near ready for the Goda. Definitely their minds weren't thinking about Shiva. Definitely they weren't working on improving themselves. And therefore they didn't really deserve the Goda. And in a situation like that, what does HaKadosh Baruch Hu have to do? HaKadosh Baruch Hu, like we mentioned in the previous year, the Gemara which says that if the time is for Goda is here, but the Jewish people aren't yet worthy of the Goda, so HaKadosh Baruch Hu brings the Melech Kasha Kahaman, and the Melech Kasha Kahaman is going to force the Jewish people to do some form of Tshuva, and that's going to work in order to, so to speak, jumpstart, in order to begin the process of the Goda. And the first time Hashem brought this Melech Hashem was Haman himself. In other words, it wasn't that we look at the Gzair of Haman as something on its own, as a, so to speak, an isolated Gzair of an anti-Semat who, because of Atfidus, we managed to put him out of business. But it was part of a bigger plan. And that was Haman played a very crucial role. Haman played a very crucial role because he was the one who brought Klai Yisrael to do Tshuva. And the point to bring Kaishal to the Chava wasn't just to save them from Haman. The point to bring Kaishal to the Chava is in order to, to enable them to now be able to get to get, to deserve the second base of English and to come back to Eretz And that's what happened subsequently to that. We know that uh, the year following the Purim story, in the 13th year of Israel, Nechashverosh dies, and his son, who was really the son of Esther too, Daryavish, takes over. And in the second year of his reign, he allows the Jewish people to go back and rebuild the second Besam Mikdash exactly 70 years after the first Besam Mikdash was destroyed. And if that's the case, we can see Haman really as playing a key role for Klai Yisrael, which he never foresaw, and obviously he didn't intend. And that is, he was the catalyst which caused the Jewish people to do Tshuva, and that Tshuva was necessary because that what was enabled us to get the second Besam Mikdash. And now, with that background and that understanding, we now understand what we said before. On the one hand, the darkest time of the night is the night is the time just before the dawn. On the other hand, that's the time when the Rachamim is the strongest. Because the Rachamim, like we said previously, is the middle of the Rachim, what the Chodesh Baruch Hu wants to do, but it hasn't yet done. When it comes into action, we'll see as it's chesed. But what Chodesh Baruch Hu plans to do for us, which even though we don't deserve, is really Rachamim. And now, just before the Goyim is meant to come, 
So now the Rachamim is the strongest. Hashem wants to bring the Gola. But if on the other hand, the Klaishal don't deserve that Gola, so what HaKadosh Baruch Hu does, in order to bring Klai Yisrael to the shuva that's necessary so that they'll deserve the Gola, is he makes he makes a Haman. He makes it seem very dark. He makes it seem very difficult for Klai Yisrael. Enough is going to force him to the shuva. And therefore the two things come together. On the one hand, we have the time of Rachamim. And on the other hand, we have the darkness which is going to inspire Chiva, which is going to allow the Rachman to happen. And that's why Purim, in historical terms, is also the end of the night. It represents the time which is the end of the goddess. The time of the end of the goddess is the time when Hashem is waiting to bring the Gola. And the darkness is what HaKadosh Baruch causes in order to enable Israel to deserve the Gola. And therefore that's, if we talk about that first night as the goddess of the 70 years of Babel, so the end of that goddess was Purim. It was two years before the end of the 70 years, and therefore there will be something similar to Purim at the end of this goddess too. And once again, the last step of the night is at the time when, on the one hand, the Rachim is there, Hashim's waiting to and wanting to bring Mashiach, and if Klaishwal don't deserve it, so then he's going to make that Melech Goshech in here too, which is going to push the Jewish people, push the Jewish people to deserve it. That's the, the first point. And therefore what we saw in the balance of the day and the year isn't just in a, like so to speak, in the cycle of time of, of, of days and years which repeat themselves, but historically that's true as well. And therefore Purim represents the time, which is a time when there's Rachamim at the end of the night. Now let's talk about the next point. And that is, we said that this, the tefillah which corresponds to that period of time, the time of the end before Rosh Hashachar is Slichus. That's ideal time to say Slichus. Really, Slichus is made up of two points. Slichus is made up firstly of the Yigil The Piyotim in between are just a way to to make a break between saying the Yigil again and again. And that's what's brought in the Racha, that if a person that says in the middle of a Piyot, and the Tzibur gets up to the next uh, 30 minutes, he should skip and join them, because primarily the point of the Slichus is to say the Yigil so that's uh, the one part of the Twitter. And then the second part of Slechus is the video. After having said the Gomiris a number of times, and we say Shamna Bagadno, we say video. So there's two parts to the Twitter of Slechus. The first part is to Daven for Rachamim, and we say the 30 minutes of Rachamim. The second part is Chiv, is uh, to say video. And that's the role that. That's the role that the Slichas play, and that's the role that Purim plays. It was the one, on the one hand, it was the Bakashas Rechamim, and on the other hand, there had to be some form of Chiva. Like we said, even if it's not a full Chiva, but at least some form of Chiva, and the two combine in order to provide the issue. And that's the second point we spoke about. That when HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants Chiva, in order to bring the middle of the fact that Hashem saves Kla Yisrael uh, into, into, into play, into, uh, makes it active. So it doesn't need a full chiva, but it needs some chiva. And like we saw, Kla Yisrael at the time of Purim, they did chiva, but it wasn't a full chiva. They did chiva, they cried for three days and three nights, and they fasted, 
and they davened Hashem to save them. But like we saw, the Averis that they had done, they hadn't yet been attacked. It was only later on in the time of Ezra, where there was a widespread campaign for men to divorce their non-Jewish wives, for people to start being makhbed in halacha again, for an, an, a, a re-acceptance of the Torah of And Purim, what it got to was the fact that Klai Israel felt they had done wrong, and that they were willing to change. Let's call it the stirrings of Chavah. That was enough. That was enough to marry the Rachmim, and that was enough to bring the to bring the Yeshua from Hamon. But more importantly, to enable the Jews to deserve to go back to Israel and rebuild the second base of English. And we said before, this is really what the Rachim says in the Torah. In Parshas Chavah, it says, "V'haya ba'achas ayamim." After all, the, all every, everything has happened to us, all the brachas and the kolos, then v'shavta. You're going to return to Hashem and listen to His voice. And then the Pasuk says, Hashem will respond by bringing you back to Eretz Yisrael and gathering you from all the nations. And then it says again, then you'll return to Hashem. And the Arachayim asked the question, why does it have to say twice, you're going to return to Hashem? And Arachayim explains this principle. And he says, the start of Goda will be, the client Israel will return to Hashem, but it's not yet a full Shabbat. It's returning to, returning to Hashem in the sense that Kaisal realize that they've done wrong and they need to do Chava. And that's already enough to start the process. And therefore, even for an incomplete Chava, Hashem is already prepared to listen to Kaisal and to return them to Eretz Yisrael. But that then needs to be followed up with a more complete, a more deep Chava, which is going to enable us to get the, all the brachos of the Gola. And that's what happened by Purim too. In order to be saved from harmony, we need a chava. And yes, Klaus were sincere that they wanted to do chava, but that, and that was enough to destroy Haman. But it was only later where they actually went through uh, everything they were doing wrong to correct everything and make their chava something which would be uh, effective in changing everything they had done. So that's the first part. The Rachamim of Purim is, is bad in the Rachamim that comes from the fact that Hashem wants to bring the dough. Hashem wants to bring the Goyle. And the Koyach of Purim is the Koyach of Slichas. It's attaching to that Rachamim together with the Tshuva, which is enough of a Tshuva for Kaddish Baruch to, so to speak, begin the process of Goyle. Now let's look at the next thing we spoke about. And therefore we, we said that, therefore the, the, the middle of Purim, which came into action, was the fact that even though it's still during Golos, and therefore... HaKadosh Baruch isn't acting as a Melech, but the very fact that the Klai Yisrael have been brought to Tshuva is going to moor the middle that Hashem is saving Klai Yisrael. Now, how does this work with the other point we said? And that is that the middle of Purim is Vuzeh B'shos Mardachai. Vuzeh B'shos Mardachai because since Mardachai was strong in himself, he never bowed to Haman, so Haman had no victory over Mardachai, and the same goes for Esther. And therefore we saw that when the Apostolic says, Hashem hasn't abandoned us and forsaken us. And Chazal says, it's looking at each of the various spirits of Godus. And when it comes to the Malchus of Paras and Madai, Hashem didn't abandon us to destroy us in the time of Haman because we had Malachi Vesta. And Malachi Vesta had the merit that they were stronger than Haman was. They didn't deserve to be destroyed. And that's why we saw when we spoke about it that when Haman directed his xerah against the Jewish people as a whole, 
that could have happened. Maybe Haman was in a position where he was stronger than the Jewish people, or the Jewish people didn't deserve to be saved. But when Haman takes on Mordechai as an individual, and he makes the gutter specifically to hang Mordechai, that's when Haman, everything goes against him, that's when Haman falls, because as an individual, Mordechai was stronger than he was. And that's why we said the Netzach, the victory of Mordechai over Haman. How does this relate to what we said previously? And it's all totally on the fact that Klayashal didn't deserve, and there was this new meter which came into effect, which is protecting Klayashal and the Klayashal leader church. Here we see Mordechai did deserve. Mordechai was more powerful than Haman, so to speak, and uh, that's, where the, that's where the victory came from. And the answer to this question is a Yisad principle, which we see by Chet HaEgel also. And we see by Chet HaEgel is after Klayashal collectively sinned by the Egel. So Hashem tells Moshe, I'm going to destroy them and I'll make you into a great nation instead of them. Which means, Moshe didn't deserve to be destroyed in Chet Egel. He wasn't directly involved or, or guilty of Chet Egel. And therefore, Akadosh Baruch had the option that he wouldn't have reneged on his commitment to the Avos that their children or their descendants would be, Am- would be Am Yisrael because Moshe was a descendant too. And therefore, HaKadosh Baruch could rebuild Klai Yisrael from Moshe Rabbeinu. And that's what Hashem was telling him. Hashem was telling him that if the Jewish people are, don't, don't, haven't done anything to deserve to be saved in the country, the various have done, have put them in a situation where they deserve to be punished, so then HaKadosh Baruch could, so to speak, destroy the Jewish people, and at the same time, it's without reneging on his promise to the others, because he could have rebuilt the Jewish people from Moshe himself, because Moshe deserved it. And what was Moshe's response? Moshe's response was to put himself in the same camp as the Jewish people. It's not them or me. What are you going to do to them? Do to me too. He says, If you're you're not going to forgive the Jewish people, then I don't want to be different to them. In other words, I want to be in the same parasha as them. And by doing that, really, Moshe Rabbeinu saved the Jewish people. Because... Had he said, okay, Hashem, you know, I'm, I'm a tzaddik, I deserve to be saved, destroy the Jewish people and start again for me. So then, the Jewish people don't have any schos. Because even the schos they have as being the descendants of the Avos, the continuation of Chai Israel, well, it wasn't uniquely theirs. That could have happened through Moshe too. And had that option been taken up, then Moshe, number one, deserves to be saved. And number two, he also is an, a descendant of the Avos. And therefore, the, the promise to the others could be misclaimed through him. And I don't think it's a strange thing, because we find things like that. For example, there was a Shem made a promise to David HaMelech that his, from his descendants would come a Sheikh. And there was a certain stage in history where, by, when the Queen Natalia killed the entire family of David, and there was only one survivor. So the promise to David didn't mean that the rest of his family wouldn't be destroyed. As long as it was one survivor, the promise could be misclaimed through him, which is a cross. The survivor was a child at the time, Yash, who grew up to become the next king and continue the line of kings of David Amalekh. And the same thing could have happened to Klai Yisrael, which means there could have been the one survivor who didn't deserve to get punished, and he could have been the beginning of a new nation. So Sam told Moshe. The God of the I would make you into the great nation. One person can begin a new. A new Step a new, a new door, a new generation of Klai Israel. And what was Moshe's way of saving Klai Israel? 
that Moshe chose, I don't want to be separate from them. Hashem, what you do to them, do to me. Because now, if that's the case, so there isn't the option of treating Moshe separately to everybody else. Moshe wants to be treated the same as the rest of Tal And therefore, if Hashem accepts that fellow, so then it's either all or nothing. Either he's going to punish the Jewish people, including Moshe, or he's going to save Moshe and at the same time save the Jewish people. And therefore, by Moshe saying, Hashem, I don't want to be judged separately. I want to be judged as part of Klai Yisrael. Effectively, he saved Klai Yisrael. And that's Ba'atzim, the same position that Mordechai was in in Shoshim. Mordechai didn't deserve to be punished. He didn't participate in the sort of Achashverosh. He didn't be a Haman. He was one person who deserved to be saved. And technically what it could have been is that the Jewish people would have been destroyed, Mordechai would have been saved, and Hashem could have kept His promise not to destroy Kral Israel by rebuilding the Jewish people from Mordechai. Except, Mordechai chose not to go that route. Just like Moshe ran before him, Mordechai threw his lot, so to speak, with Kral Israel, and therefore it's all or nothing. I, want, I don't want to be judged separately to them, I want to be judged as part of them. And if that's the case, so because Mordechai didn't deserve to be destroyed, so Klai Yisrael won't destroy either. This is the Oymek of a Pasuk which we have difficulty understanding otherwise. After Haman comes back from the humiliating experience of leading Mordechai around the streets on the horse and uh, being defiled by the contents of whatever his daughter poured on his head, so he comes back home, Avil Vachafri Rosh, and he tells his wife, he tells his family all the misfortunes which befell him. And then there's a very telling pasuk. His chacham and his wife say to him, Im mizera Mardechai. If Mardechai is from the seed of the Jews, that you began to fall in front of him, then you won't be successful against him, you'll continue to fall. And the obvious question of the pasuk is, why was it a suffix? Why the new Mordechai was? What does it mean? Im mizerai hodi Mordechai. If Mordechai is from the seed of the Jews, of course he was. They had any suffix about it? The reason they made the gzer against the Jews was because of Mordechai. He gave them a shavuot, and the new Mordechai was a Jew. So what? Why are they after you? Why are they saying if Mordechai is from the zerai yehudi, then you're going to fall? Why didn't they, why didn't they rather say? Being as Mordechai is one of the Jews. What's the doubt? What's the end? The other question, obviously, in the Pasuk is, I thought we really answer this question, what is everything in the singular? If Mordechai is from the descendants of the Jews, would you be going to fall Lefanov in front of him in the singular? You won't overcome him in the singular. You're going to fall in front of him. If it's, what's it going to do with whether Mordechai is part of the Jews or not? If you don't, if you began to fall in front of Mordechai, then Mordechai is stronger than you. You'll continue to fall to Mordechai. What were they trying to say to him? So I think the chat is based on what we said before, and that is, Haman and his family had seen that when Haman tried to, to attack Mordechai, it hadn't worked. Uh, he had come to the king to try and hang Mordechai, and instead of he had, he had fated Mordechai around on the horse. He had been left to honor and glorify Mordechai at his own expense. He had also lost in the process he had had to bend to Mordechai. So Haman can see that against Mordechai, he's not going to be successful. But the question is, maybe his gzera will still work against the rest of the Jews. 
Haman had already passed the decree that to destroy all of Kla Yisrael, and that had worked. And now what interested Haman, being as he was the Russia that he was, was, I see that to try and fight Mordechai was a mistake. But is this going to impact on my Xerah to destroy Kla Yisrael? Or, will it be that I was stronger than Kla Yisrael, and therefore that Xerah will still happen? Even if Mordechai wasn't able to hang Mordechai in the gallows like I wanted to do. And that's what they answered him. They said, if Mordechai Mordechai was the individual that you began to fall to, so then you fall into Mordechai, but it has no impact on your fight with the Jewish people. It could be still stronger than them. But if Mordechai put himself in the role as one of the Jews, and therefore when you felt him, it wasn't to Mordechai as Mordechai, but rather Mordechai as the representative of Klai Yisrael. If when you felt to Mordechai, it was as Mordechai in the capacity of Zerah Yehudim as a Jew, then your Zerah is going to fall as well. And I think that's a double lashon. You'll fall more to him. Which means everything is going to fall apart. Like Zerah as well. Why? Because once Mordechai isn't a, just the individual Mordechai, but once the victory of Mordechai was the victory for the Jewish people, so then the Jewish people collectively are stronger than Haman. And therefore the Gzera against the Jewish people won't work either, as was the case. First Haman got hung on the, on the, on the very tree he wanted to hang Mordechai, and afterwards Mordechai and Esther were the ones who ensured that the Gzera wouldn't happen either. And why didn't it happen? The past success. Because every place where the king's decree reached, the second decree, so all the all the governors and the officers of the kings, respected the second Gezerah and offered to help the Jews in their battle against the supporters of Haman because they were scared of Mordechai. And therefore, it was the, the person Mordechai who really ensured that the Gezerah against the Jews wasn't Mishkayim either. That's the first part. Another example for this, what Mordechai tells Esther, Esther also had Tzvosim, like we saw beforehand. If that's the case, Mordechai says to Esther, you don't want to go to the king to intercede for the Jewish people. You don't want to go to intercede for the Jewish people. And you're relying on the fact that you don't deserve to get destroyed. So don't think that don't think that's going to happen. In other words, don't think that you're going to use opportunity to save yourself and uh, not try and save Klai Yisrael, and you'll get to save and they'll be destroyed. He says, don't think like that, why? If you're going to keep quiet now, and not stand up for the Jewish people, it's going to go in reverse. There'll be another way Klai Yisrael gets saved, and you and your family will get destroyed. And... Who knows, this is probably the reason why you came to become queen in the first place. Now, it doesn't seem to make sense with what we said before. If after Esther was a Tzedekist, and Esther didn't deserve to be destroyed, on the contrary, she was stronger than Haman, then had Esther decided, I'm relying on my own merit, I'm not going to intercede for the rest of the Jewish people, so why shouldn't Esther have been saved? 
maybe that's what Mordechai thought Esther was thinking, even it wasn't what she was thinking. But then what's Mordechai's answer to her? And that is, you see that you were put in the position of the palace to save Kaisra. So had you not been involved, had you been a Tzadik or Tzadikus on your own in some distant place, then maybe you could think, I have this custom in mind, right? And I'm not expected to use them to serve Kaya But if you see HaKadosh Baruch Hu put you in a position of Malchus, then obviously you were put there for the reason that you meant to use this opportunity to save Kaya too. And how, how is Esther going to do that? Well, it's the same point. And that is, if Esther has Shosim, then she's not going to get punished. And if that's the case, by risking her life to save the Jewish people, so then she can't get punished because she's stronger than the enemy, but then it's either or. So either she, either she's stronger and then it's going to bring down Haman, or the other way around, Haman will bring down her. And if she has a schosim that he can't bring down her, it's going to have to work the other way around. And therefore, Eskel's prepared to risk her life, that's what she's commanded to do, to go in front of the king in a case where it's pikoach nefesh, in a case where it's pikoach nefesh, and risk her life, and then try and bring home to the, so to speak, to the situation where it's going to be either or. It's going to be, it's, it's the one will survive, either Haman or Esther. And when that happens, so then, being as Esther doesn't deserve to get punished by Haman, she'll survive, but the result will be that Haman will get destroyed. Because Haman's not stronger than Esther, just like he wasn't stronger than Mordechai. And therefore Esther does the same thing. She brings on herself... And she says to the king that I'm part of this Xera too. I'm going to get killed. It's me or Haman. And that wasn't clear enough. So when the king comes back into the room and he sees Haman fell onto the couch where Esther was, and now it became more graphically clear to him. He's trying to conquer the queen in the house, which means it's him against her. So then, that's what's going to get Haman killed. So that's the ability of a tzaddik. A tzaddik who doesn't deserve to get destroyed can opt, so to speak, to use that merit to stand with Klai Yisrael and therefore that's going to support Klai Yisrael. That's going to help them succeed as well. That was the Kayach of Moshe Rabbeinu, like we said, would prevent the Klai Yisrael's destruction in his door. That was the Kayach of Mordechai Esther in their door, that they, were the, they acted as the Zerah Yehudim. They stood up for Klai Yisrael, in which case, it wasn't that they were saved and Klai Yisrael would be destroyed. It was being as part of Klai Yisrael, so then, because they were saved, the rest of the Jewish people were saved too. But, for that principle to work, we need one last factor. We need one last factor. And that is, Klai Yisrael have to connect to them. Or put more simply, Klai Yisrael have to want to be saved. The same way that the, the, the Gadol can, or the Tzaddik, who doesn't deserve to be punished, can attach himself to Klai Yisrael, and therefore what happens to me will happen to them. And if I get saved, they get saved. That has to work both ways. Which means Klai Yisrael need to attach themselves to that Tzaddik too. And therefore Klai Yisrael's Tzaddik was, now they listen to Malachi. And when he asked for the three-day fast, they participated. And what he said, they listened to. Because that way it's a, they've connected themselves to each other and therefore Mordechai's will carry them too. Similarly after the Egel. 
Moshe went up the mountain to Daven to save Klai Yisrael, which he managed to do, because Klai Yisrael also listened to Moshe here. And therefore, from above, Moshe was diving for them on top of the mountain, and from below, they were connected to that. They were listening to Moshe, they were diving as well. They did shiver. And therefore, we made it, they had the ability to connect themselves to that tzchus, and therefore, the, none of them got destroyed. But without that step, which means, without the both sides, without the tzaddik, who deserves to be saved, wanting to save Klai Yisrael, and at the same time, without Klai Yisrael, connecting themselves to the tzaddik, so to speak, and therefore listening to him, and uh, wanting to do tshuva, in order to deserve to be saved, so then the schos of the one, one broke for the other one. It's only when we have both together, so then Klai Yisrael has a schos. Look, we saw the schos of tshuva, but together with the fact that there's a tzaddik who deserves to be saved. And the tshuva means that the rest of Israel are worthy of that as well. I saw brought down from Rabbi Victor Miller in one of his uh, books that this is the point which went wrong, so to speak, by the, by the Holocaust, where, which could have been similar to another Purim. There was the Melech Kosher Kahom who wanted to destroy the Jewish people. And there were Tzaddikim who didn't deserve to get destroyed. But the problem was that the Rav Am, the majority of the Jewish population, didn't use the opportunity to do Tshuva. They didn't take the leadership in the direction of the Tzaddikim. And as a result, what could have been a tremendous catalyst for Tshuva, and what could have been something which would have re- brought Klai Yisrael back again, well, the opportunity was lost, and then the Xerah came into effect. And to whatever extent, Klai Yisrael got destroyed. Was that a was that a, a lack of the fulfillment of Hashem's promise not to destroy Klai Yisrael? No, Klai Yisrael survived, but only a few of Klai Yisrael survived. What stopped the rest of Klai Yisrael surviving? What stopped the millions of people who got killed? That they could have been part of that haftacha too. That Klai Yisrael didn't get destroyed as it happened in Shushan. So obviously the answer isn't for each individual who died, but as a klal. The answer is, there wasn't that shiva. They didn't reconnect themselves to Klai Yisrael. And therefore, that sort of Klai Yisrael happened without them. So even though Klai Yisrael collectively survived and rebuilt, but all those individuals weren't part of Klai Yisrael. And therefore, they didn't survive. Here we see where you need both. There was the Mordechai, there was the Esther, in every door there is the Tzaddik who, doesn't, who, who will survive. And in the worst case scenario, he'll be the only survivor. But that will still be a kim of Hashem's promise. Because Klaisha won't get destroyed, even if Klaisha has to get rebuilt from just one person. And that's the possible we said before. There'll never be a situation when Klaisha will get destroyed. How few people can it get to? How small? can the population of Yiddish, of Yisrael be? That's called not being destroyed, even one person. Because that person can rebuild Klai Yisrael. But, the opportunity that Klai Yisrael have is that they can choose, when, the, when they feel threatened, they can choose to do Tshuva. They can choose to connect to that one person, just like he can choose to connect to them. And in a case like that, so then his chus will carry everyone.
not just Nisros, the Mid of HaKadosh Baruch which saves Klai Yisrael, now applies to everybody who considers him part of that Klai Yisrael. And it's late, I'm going to finish with just a very beautiful observation. Observation which I had a long time ago, but I want to give an explanation to it. And that is, if you look, there were three times we said when there was a middle of Netzach, which means there was a victory for Klai Yisrael. Not that a goddess came to an end and we were no longer being persecuted. That means the punishment ended, but we never were victorious over the enemy. For example, goddess Babel. Babel ended. It disintegrated into ignominy after it was destroyed by Paris and Madai. We, Klaish, never, were never victorious over Babel. From being slaves of Babel, we just got shifted to being slaves of Paris and Madai instead. And therefore, in a case like that, there was no victory over the enemy. The only times we had, we had victories over our enemies were in three cases. The first one was in Mitzrayim, when we were victorious over Parak. When by Yamsuf, we, we emerged alive and Parak's entire army was drowned in the sea. And the second time was Vapurim. And that is where we defeated Haman and we defeated all the people who were his sympathizers and supporters. And we went to battle and we killed them. Yavan wasn't like that. We might have won, rested back Yerushalayim and won back a certain amount of uh, religious autonomy, but we never defeated Yavan. Yavan continued. We might have just taken back a small part of the territory of Israel, and similarly, we, we haven't yet defeated Edom. In the future, we will, but that hasn't yet happened. And therefore, it's brought in the post game that at the end of Sukkot Zimra, uh, before you, at the end of Shira Sayyam, we finish with three Sukkot. The first one is the last pasuk of the Shira, Hashem Yimrecha in Avoid. The second one, Kid Hashem Amelucho Moshal Bagayim, is the end of the Tehillim, which is the Tefill of Esther, the Tehillim of Pes. And the last pasuk, Vayi Hashem Lemelech Aretz, is what will be in the future. Those are the three times when Klayishal had a victory. Bamitzrayim, Bapurim, and Be'ez Hashem when Mashiach comes. And now here's the fascinating insight. There were two Jewish leaders of the Jewish people in Mitzrayim. And that was the Moshe and Aaron. There were two Jewish leaders in the time of Purim. It was Mordechai and Esther. And there, were two, there will be, by Ezra Hashem, three Jewish leaders in the time of the future redemption. And that will be Mashiach and Eliyahu. If you notice any common thread running through these three dairs, these three era, epochs in Jewish history, if you think about it, in every single case of the two leaders, one's name starts with an Aleph, and the other one's name starts with a Mem. We have Aaron and Moshe, Esther and Mordechai, Eliyahu and Mashiach. Now, that's the error I heard many years ago, but what's the significance of that? And the answer is like this. That we said, for Israel to be victorious needs two things. It needs the people who deserve the victory. The people in Sadiqim who are stronger than the enemy is. But it needs another point too. It needs the rest of Klai Israel to do each other. And therefore, in each of these three dairies, the first step we have is the leaders who deserve the, deserve the Gula. And you have to add what Klai Israel did, which was Chava. And when you put together the, the two leaders plus the Chava, you get the word MS. Aleph Memtaf. Whether it's Aaron Moshe, Esther Mordechai, Eliyahu Mashiach, and the Toph of Chava. 
in each star. What brings the Gehola is the leaders together with the Chav of Taishu. That makes up the MS. And we know it's only when there's a Gehola that HaKadosh Baruch Hu's, uh, HaKadosh Baruch Hu's plan is understood and HaKadosh Baruch Hu's guidance of the world is seen. And then we see the MS. But I'm going to take two minutes more of your time and explain something even deeper. And that is, Barizal tells us that one of Hashem's names is the name Eke. When Moshe, before the goddess Mitzrayim, asked Hashem, Kaish will ask me your name, what should I tell them? And Hashem says two things. The one time he says, you should tell them that my name is Akiah. And the other time he says, Akiah, I share Akiah. What does the name Akiah mean? So the Rishanim Taras, Rashbam and others say, Akiah means something which is going to happen. It's the future tense. So when we see HaKadosh Baruch acting a certain way, in the present tense, we can call him in the present tense. So we call him Havaya, Yudke Vavke. When we talk about something which is going to happen, Hashem is going to display a certain way of running the world. But it hasn't happened yet. So they say in the future tense, Eki, it's going to be. And therefore, before the God of Mitzrayim, when Hashem speaks to Moshe, and He says to him, that I'm going to reveal myself with what name? Eki, with what's going to be in the future. The name I'm going to show them by showing them I'm in control of the world. That's the one meaning. The result explains that the name Ekya refers to a high level of an hog of the world. Kilo Hashem is speaking in the first person. When we talk about Hashem as Yudke Vavka, we're talking in the third person. And when Hashem speaks Kilo about himself, in the first person who used the name Ekya. And the result explains when we spoke about the Melech, so to speak, as one the king who runs the world. So we use Hashem's name Yudke Vavke. The name of the Keser, the name of the crown, is part of a higher Bechina called Ima or called the Bina, and the name of the Bina is Akia. And therefore, according to the Kabbalah, according to the Rizal, Akia is the name of the Keser which, the crown, which gives the king the Kayach to do. And the two go together because when the king has a Keser, then he can act. Then we see him acting as a king. When the king doesn't have that kasa, at the time of Godos, and so to speak, the king is asleep, so HaKadosh Baruch Hu calls that kayach, the kayach which is going to be, which means the kayach of a high level, which right now the king isn't wearing, which is why he's not acting as a king, but when it's given back to him, then he'll come back to, so to speak, to, to, to act and to assert himself as a king. Ekiah asher ekiah. What will be is when the higher level comes back and rests on the Melech, so then that, that's the Anhogah which will be in the future. It's the name of the future, and it's the name of the high Anhogah which will be present when, when it's Ma'ari the king again. And here's a fascinating thing. The Rizal says that the gematria of Eke, we know is 21. If you take Eke Asher Eke, which means 21, multiplied by 21, we get the result is 441, which is the gematria of Emes. When do we see that Emes? When do we see that full Gola? 
is when the future, when that revelation of HaKadosh Baruch Hu is complete, when the Kesir comes back, so to speak, and the king is brought back again. And what brings that Hanhaga? What brings that Geula? The Emes is the, the leaders who deserve it, together with the Chug of Kala Yisra. When both of those factors combine, so then that's Mu'ari, that's new Hanhaga to start. And once again, that's the Kayach of Purim. The Kayach of Purim is it comes at the end of the Goddess. The Kayach of Purim is a time when Hashem wants to Mu'ari the Rachamim. And we don't yet deserve it. And therefore the Kayach of Purim is to combine the Mirat Sarachamim with the beginnings of our Chiva. And when the two come together, that's enough to bring, that's enough to cause Yeshua. How? Because that Shiva is enough to connect us to Klai Yisrael. To connect us to the middle which protects Klai Yisrael, to connect us to the Tzaddikim, who deserve that Yeshua. And therefore, being as we and they are all part of Klai Yisrael, so Yevoyo Elov Yechapral Elu, then Vimele, their Shos saves all of us. And the result of Purim is the Emes. The result of Purim is the gili of that, of that new Goela, where we can see HaKadosh Baruch Hu, so to speak, in control. Vayashim Lemelech al And that's what Purim can bring to. Following on Purim is the beginning of the new day. It sets in motion the new, the new period. Just like the historical Purim immediately preceded the building of the second base of Mikdash, and same thing the Purim by from this Goelus will also immediately proceed the Gola and the building of the third place in English. I thank everybody for spending the night participating, learning, maybe connecting to a depth of what Purim is and what Purim can offer us, and celebrating what the Kayach of Purim. And that is that even in the darkest of the Golas, even at the Kedrusa the Shachrusa, the Kayach of Gola is always there. That's what's not Ma'ari the Rachamim, and that's what brings us to the realization that the schus we have as part of Klai Yisrael is Mechaev, that Klai Yisrael will always be in existence and also that Klai Yisrael will be redeemed and merit that good. I pray for everyone.